Hello and welcome to the e-commerce entrepreneur podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host Dylan Kelly and every Monday I interview the best entrepreneurs in e-commerce. Today on the show, I have Fred Prada, who's the co-founder of Tortuga. When he started the company, him and his co-founder were turned down by every manufacturer they approached. Keep listening to learn how he convinced his first manufacturer to work with him and how he grew the business to seven figures. This show is brought to you by my consultancy, Wavebreak. We help e-commerce businesses grow their sales with done-for-you email marketing. If you want to learn how to increase your repeat purchases, get more product reviews, and upsell your customers, check out our free email course at sendgoodemail.com. That's sendgoodemail.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the e-commerce entrepreneur podcast. Today, joining me is Fred Parada. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I guess just to get started, can you give everyone a brief overview of what Tortuga is? Yeah, so we make luggage for city travel. Uh, we kind of started out with the mission to make uh, a perfect travel backpack uh, because my co-founder Jeremy and I went on a trip backpacking Europe for a few weeks and couldn't find the ideal product for that. You know, we wanted a backpack because we were backpacking. You know, we didn't want suitcases uh, because we did it kind of slow us down and it wasn't ideal for running around Europe with, but uh, all of the options were really hiking bags, those kind of tall, skinny backpacks that you see most most people wearing in hostels and backpacking Europe. So uh, we had the idea on that trip and uh, came back and tried to make the ultimate backpack and have since uh, expanded a bit out from there into accessories and duffel bags and kind of trying to make everything that uh, that a city traveler would need. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually have a Tortuga backpack and they're oh, they're great. They open from the side and it's just if you travel to cities or just short trips and you need a good bag, oh, they're perfect for it. Yeah, we try to make it's kind of like a suitcase backpack hybrid. So, you know, packs up like a suitcase, nice and organized. You can reach everything, but, you know, it's easy to carry like a backpack. That's cool. So after, so you go on this trip and you realize all these backpacks suck. Like, what did it take to go from having this idea to having like your first product? Uh, it took about two years and a lot of failure uh, is sort of the short version of that. Um, but yeah, we had to, you know, neither of us had a, a background in product design or manufacturing or anything like that. So we're sort of figuring everything out from scratch uh, with the help of the four hour work week was kind of the blueprint that we tried to follow. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of uh, trying to talk to people, asking a million questions of anyone who had designed or made something before, and then jumping into each stage of it before we were ready. So, you know, we found a designer on uh, Upwork or Elance, one of those sort of sites, and just kind of listed off all the stuff we wanted to do and took what he made and started shopping that around to, to factories, trying to get quotes, trying to get samples made. And um, of course, made a bunch of terrible samples, uh, wasted a bunch of time because we didn't know what we were doing. And factories that uh, were bigger, more successful, the ones you want to work with, didn't want to work with us because it was clear that we didn't know what we were doing and we we're small and, you know, we we're trying to place the smallest order we could. So a lot of bumbling around until uh, eventually we we got something made. And that was kind of the the most important first step for us. Our uh, Our first order of bags was just for 100 bags, and we actually ended up making them in the States. So we pretty much didn't make any money on that order, but we did make a product, 
get the website up, start selling that product, and uh, you know get enough validation that uh, that we could continue, and uh, most importantly, you know get the name out there and and get some momentum rather than you know run out of money just sort of uh, continually bumbling around and trying to make the perfect product. Uh, in our case, it was better to to just get something launched and and then build on that. Nice. Speaking of money, how did you fund the initial idea? Uh, out of our pockets, for the most part, um, we uh, we started. We had the idea in 2009. Eventually, launched uh, kind of publicly in 2011. And in that time, I, I guess Kickstarter did exist, but we didn't know about it. It wasn't a big thing um, that everyone knew about and knew that as a place to launch products. So um, we were trying to just make it work, you know, independently bootstrapping. So we put some money. That we had in savings. Um, uh, we also used a small loan from uh, the Jewish Free Loan Association. I like to always uh, actually plug them in their name because I don't know where if we would even exist without them. Um, but somehow got an interest-free loan from them, which uh, was very helpful. Um, and yeah, got launched. The biggest thing, uh, like I said a second ago, was that you know we reached this point where the product wasn't where we wanted it to be yet, uh, as far as sampling and development. But uh, we're starting to run low on money, so we knew once we got to that number of uh, how much money we needed to place that first order. If we went below that, then you know we wouldn't be able to place any order, and we're doing a really tiny one in the state. So. Um, once we started approaching that number, we knew whatever we had, we had to we had to manufacture it and, and try to sell it. So, um, yeah, I guess those those constraints ended up being kind of good for us um, rather than, you know, trying to trying to get things perfect or having a ton of money from uh, outside investment or you know VCs or Kickstarter or whatever. Um, at least uh, at this point, I like to tell myself that it was a, a good thing for us. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Were you guys working jobs while you were starting the company or did you quit? Like, what was that like leaving your job and, and when did you leave? Yeah, in the early days, uh, I was still at my job. Uh, so I used to work at Google at the time. Um, so I was, you know, working on Tortuga a little bit at work, a little bit after work. Uh, and then eventually, once we got to that point of uh, manufacturing that first run of bags, we did it in uh, LA, uh, kind of near Long Beach in Southern California. Uh, so that was when I quit my job, which, uh, you know, in retrospect, maybe was a bad idea because, you know, we didn't, uh, still a while until we were actually selling anything and still a couple of years away from really having a, a business that, um, you know, we could make a paycheck from and all of that. But, uh, that's when I, I was, I was itching to take the leap. So that's kind of when, when I did it, but uh, even then, I was still doing a lot of freelance work on the side because I continued living in California, which is not cheap, and uh, you know needed a way to to make money. So uh, I was doing some freelance work um, for most of the day, and then Tortuga uh, in spaces when I can. And, and Jeremy, my co-founder, when we started, was in film school, uh, and then later, once he graduated, was you know working all kinds of random odd jobs as uh, you know. Uh, directing, doing stuff on film sets. So uh, we're both kind of hustling up uh, money to, to pay the rent and trying to, to make Tortuga work uh, where we could on the side. Love it. The grind never stops. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's rough, but uh, I don't know. It worked for us. There's some people that say, you know, you should always go in uh, 100%, you know, like with startups and things like that, that uh, if you don't go full time, you're not really committed to it or whatever. But you know, there's different paths that, that can work for everyone. And 
that worked for us. Um, so yeah, the you know there's not just just one way to do it. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Jumping back to the manufacturing really quick. Uh, you mentioned it was really hard to find a manufacturer for your first small order size. How did you end up convincing that first manufacturer? Uh, so we bounced around. Initially, we were trying to make it in China because that's what everyone told us to do. That's where the vast majority of uh, bags and soft goods are made. But without any connections there, without having been there, without speaking the language, all of that, uh, we just found it impossible to to bridge this gap. Uh, the gap being partially language, but really more of knowledge that we didn't know what we were doing and. Um, you know, the factories in China want to operate at scale. So they want someone to come in and say, here's our product to make, you know, a thousand, five thousand, a hundred thousand, whatever of this um, is kind of how they work. They don't want to help us figure out how to make, how to develop a product, how to make a product, et cetera. So um, after getting some initial samples back, which were terrible, we kind of freaked out and turned our attention back to the States and, uh, found a factory through a website called ThomasNet, which we got that website from the 4-Hour Workweek, uh, but now there's sites like Maker's Row that are a little bit better uh, in helping you connect to factories. Um, but through that site, found, you know, we called everyone that we could, finally found someone in, in LA who would make the bags for us, but um, while they agreed to make it and did eventually make them, uh, they were very difficult to work with. They didn't return phone calls. We wouldn't hear from them for weeks at a time. They missed every deadline. Um, so, you know, uh, we're using someone nearby that we spoke the same language and, you know, still had just as many, if not more problems than trying to manufacture in China. So eventually we did get something made there. And then uh, going on into the future, uh, pretty much every factory that we've worked with has uh, a lot of been through referrals, especially through We've worked with some third-party designers and uh, contract design firms. Uh, so companies like that often have have worked with other factories, either through a client or relationships they've they've developed themselves. Um, so we kind of started going that referral route, which worked much better for us. Um, and you know, then we would come in uh, by that point, knowing more. Um, the factory would trust us a little bit more because we were referred to them, and you know, vice versa, of course. Um, and yeah, I've kind of built it up from there. And then, you know, once you get into the space, then you start meeting, meeting more factories or more people in the space who can refer you to factories. And, uh, that sort of gets a little easier. So really it's a matter of getting that first one or two or getting your first run manufactured. And then, uh, then it gets a little bit easier over time. That's really interesting. I've never done anything like that myself. So to sort of have, so insight into how all the stuff I wear and buy and gets made. That's, that's crazy. I didn't know it was that, like I knew it was hard, but I didn't realize it was that crazy. Yeah. You know, it gets easier over time. Now it feels not easy or simple, but you know, now I understand the lay of the land and uh, we have a member of our team who's in China full time um, and, you know, goes to fairs and things like that. But yeah, you just have to, I mean, it's, it's still a big kind of knowledge gap or big, big hurdle to get over and figure out if you're if you're new to it so you know the more people you can meet and more questions you can ask the better um even later on i found it really helpful i've gone to the canton fair a bunch of times which is uh a giant trade show in uh in southern china where you know you can kind of find factories to make literally any product you've ever heard of i mean there are aisles of them making pick anything, lighters, you know, all the stuff you don't even think about being made. And there are, you know, dozens or hundreds of factories there that make it. Um, 
and it's a great place to learn even if you don't end up working with any of them you know you can ask ask a ton of questions to one factory take one step down the aisle and you know ask the same ones to another one and uh, just kind of inundate yourself with with information until you uh, can start to figure it out nice you mentioned that one of the people on your team is in China full time. Something interesting about Tortuga is that you're entirely remote, which means you don't have an office that everyone works out of. Everyone just works from their computers. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's uh, it, this is another thing that's kind of happened naturally, but now is, uh, is an important part of the company. Um, but when we're starting out, uh, I was in San Francisco, Jeremy was in LA, and We've known each other since we were kids, so it wasn't really an issue for us to work together remotely. And you know, we uh, we were perfectly fine, kind of working that way over Skype or whatever. And we knew we would uh, could both hold each other accountable. None of that stuff was issues. So we started that way, and then uh, had worked with a lot of whether it be a factory that uh, wasn't local or. Uh, designers, freelancers, uh, people like that that we'd work with um, that we'd find online uh, to you know make the business work in those early days and kind of uh, patch it together before we had uh, hired anyone or had a team. And you know we just kind of became comfortable doing that um, because you know none of the freelancers we worked with were local. We had no office that they could report to or anything. So we kind of got used to it. And once it came time to hire, just continued down that path. Uh, and by the time we started hiring people a few years ago, um, there were companies like Buffer and Basecamp, um, Automatic, companies out there not just working remotely, but writing about it and talking about it. So you know, we could kind of see what other companies were doing and feel a little bit more confident in doing it ourselves, the same way uh, the four-hour work week kind of made us more confident in being able to manufacture something. Um, so yeah, we just started down that path and eventually you know, built it into being a, a core value of the company. And, uh, you know, it's not making physical products isn't the easiest kind of company to do remotely. You know, there's a reason that most of them are, are software companies uh, or maybe agencies and service businesses. Um, but so far we've made it work and, you know, we'll see how, how we're able to, to grow and continue to do that remotely. But, uh, you know, it's a challenge that, that we're willing to take on and, um, you know, uh, I think it's been a great way for us to build our business and, you know, now I've kind of become a, an evangelist for, for remote work and trying to help other people uh, start their businesses remotely or, or transition to that uh, in the same way that, you know, I felt like uh, companies that had started before us or were further along and were remote uh, kind of taught me how to do it or helped me even if I didn't, uh, it was just from reading their blogs or something. Cool, cool. And before I press record for this call, you mentioned to me that for the first three years Tortuga existed, people didn't know that you existed. Uh, what sort of marketing strategies have you used to grow and how did you get your first sales? So our very first sales were from uh, placement in uh, a newsletter called Thrillist, which uh, does still exist, but it was kind of, uh, it's, it's evolved over time. But at the time it was sort of like, cool stuff for dudes, you know, it's kind of a daily email, um, where you'd get, hear about new products or movies or, uh, they had local ones too. So, you know, you might hear of a new bar opening or something like that. But my, uh, my old managers, then boyfriend, maybe they were married, uh, whatever the relationship was, uh, he was an editor there. So, uh, you know, we got in one of their kind of uh, weekly roundups 
and got our first few sales that way. And, you know, we thought, oh, what a what a great launch week. You know, we're off to this awesome start. And then, of course, you know, two days after that's published, just kind of fell off. Um, and from there, we had to figure out how to build something a little bit more repeatable and sustainable than just, uh, you know, press coverage like that. So the biggest thing for us, uh, which, again, took us a long time to kind of figure out and try a lot of stuff, but the, the biggest thing for us has always been our blog. Uh, so over on our blog, we talk a lot about kind of what to bring for a trip and how to pack it, um, whether that's uh, gear guides for digital nomads or for the best travel pants, uh, all the way to packing lists for destinations, different seasons, things like that. So that uh, when people are kind of figuring out what they should bring or um, learning about a destination or what to pack or trying to pack lighter, um, they hopefully can find us and then, you know, we can kind of prove our, our expertise. And then when they need some luggage, then, uh, then they know to, to click over and check out what we have. So that's kind of always been our biggest, uh, biggest marketing channel. And uh, like from then to now, like how many sales did you do last month? And if you're not comfortable saying, can you give me a range or like a growth percentage or number of orders? Yeah, we do. Uh, so we're a seven-figure business, you know, on a on a yearly basis, and uh, yeah, are now in this kind of fun transition phase. Uh, starting about a year ago, uh, you know, we had this idea of having the V3 of our product, uh, which at the time, you know, kind of our main product, which was the the travel backpack I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, and. Um, so starting about a year ago, at least, uh, you know, to people outside the company, we entered this, this third phase where, uh, we've got the third version of the product was the idea, but also a new version of the website and internally we've changed a lot. And now we're kind of this third version of the company where we've grown the team over the last, uh, couple of years. So right now we're, we're sorting that out and, you know, sort of, uh, think of it as kind of like teenage years as we're growing into the, the next phase of the company going from, you know, one line of products really driven primarily by one product to uh, kind of these focused collections and sort of growing beyond just uh, just making a backpack to making, you know, duffel bags and accessories and all that sort of stuff and being able to cater to to a wider range of travelers um, because we think now we've got the, uh, the team, the capabilities to, you know, solve problems, not just for one really specific sort of traveler, but for for a lot of different people. Now that you're at this uh, like V3 line of products, is there anything that you would do differently if you had to start over? Well, I would love to have you know not worked on the company for whatever five years before uh, getting a paycheck. That would be great, but um, you know uh, all that stuff was also necessary to learn everything that we now know, or to to kind of learn you know how to run the business, what works for for us and our team and our products and our customers. So, I mean, I would love to shortcut all that stuff, but who knows where that would leave us. So I don't know, maybe those were necessary uh, growing pains to go through. Yeah, it's funny, actually, a lot of the people who I talk to on this show, they all say the exact same thing when I ask them that question. I mean, it's easy to say that afterwards, of course, right? During the middle of it, you're like, uh, fast forward to the part where, you know, we're rich and successful and make great products and everyone loves us. Uh, but you know, it's easier to say that stuff afterwards, but uh, there's still probably some truth to it. Yeah, totally. It's all part of the process. Uh, before we sign off, do you have any other closing thoughts or words of advice for other e-commerce entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I would say uh, if anyone has questions um, or, you know, if you're doing anything in 
in the same vein as us or interested in remote work or any of that to uh, to reach out to me. Twitter is probably the, the easiest place or um, I also have a website, fredprada.com, but try to write a lot of about this stuff just to kind of pay it forward in the same way that I learned from other people. So if any of that is helpful or people are just getting started, uh, check that out and you know, feel free to ask me questions uh, on Twitter. Happy to answer as many as I can. That's cool. I'll, and I'll put those links in the show notes as well. And where can we go to learn more about Tortuga? Yeah, we are at tortugabackpacks.com, T-O-R-T-U-G-A. Um, and you can check out all of our products there. And there's also a link to the blog. So if you already have luggage, but just need some help packing lighter or need to buy some new clothes or gear for travel, um, plenty of recommendations in there too. Yeah, there's some good stuff on that blog. I think you guys have a post on like the whole manufacturing and like figuring that out for Tortuga too. And there's a really funny photo of one of the first backpacks I think you guys got back. It was like, didn't look like a backpack. It was like giant. Yeah, that's we call that the great monstrosity. Um, that that's a good example of something that's uh, you know funny to look back on and in retrospect. But at the time, that was like the gut punch that made us uh, like totally shift our focus back to to manufacturing in the U.S. Yeah, we've um, you know if you're interested in the the company and that kind of stuff or in manufacturing, uh, we have a section of the blog called the lab, which you can see in the navigation, but. That's a lot of behind the scenes type stuff. So some of it of, you know, why we manufacture in China and some of it about the, the design process for newer products we're trying to kind of be more transparent with and, uh, and share some of that. So if you're interested in manufacturing or soft goods, uh, a lot of stuff in there that hopefully is, is helpful. Yeah, definitely give that stuff a look. The blog's a great resource. Uh, thanks again, Fred, for coming on the show and sharing your journey. I think a lot of listeners will find this episode extremely valuable. Awesome. Hope I can be helpful and thanks for having me on. Good talking to you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe if you want to hear new episodes. Because you stayed until the end, I have a few free gifts for you over at wavebreak.co slash podcast. I think you're going to like them. That's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week, and don't forget your freebies at wavebreak.co slash podcast.